Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Jared Bailey from Laces Out. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First off, it's free. You don't got to pay anything to use Anchor. And there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of Laces Out. Jared Bailey, Kurt Homister with you as always. And Kurt, my friend, we've been trying to set this up for the past what feels like a month. And uh, it, we're finally being able to do it. And uh, I'm really excited about it. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I, I got to give credit to you. Um, I, I, I will I will be honest. I have been very, very busy uh, starting a new position and you know staying busy. But you you put this all together. So shout out to you, my friend. This is going to be an amazing show, so I'll let you do the honors of introducing two out of the three guests. One will be joining us very shortly. Ah, uh, shucks. Get you a broadcast partner like Kurt Homaser, everybody. Yes, so joining us, you see him on the bottom left corner. He's the host of the DA show on CBS Sports Radio. Damon, Amanda, Laura. Sir, how are you doing today? I'm good, guys. I'm good. How are you guys doing? Oh, uh, living the college dream. It's fantastic. And then in the bottom right, the man who needs no introduction, the greatest mustache in the history of pro football, Ken Anderson. Sir, it's good to see you again. How are you? I'm good to be with you guys again, too. No, doing great. That great weather down here in Hilton Head. And, you know, here we go. Yeah, you just know, we're, we're just saying with we're 90 saying, degrees. Yeah, we were saying before we joined, we're Jared and I are up north. And Damon, I don't know where you are, but we're up north here. We're just starting to get the warmer weather going. So hopefully we'll be able to get out and uh, hit the golf course. But Ken's probably been going all year round, I would like to think. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, I, I knew, but I was in, in Cincinnati in February, and uh, okay. I shoveled snow twice, and I said, this is why I don't live there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Damon, where are you at right now? Based in New York, yeah, so okay. Ken has uh, has a good head start on, on yes. his golf game. I've been out yes. once. Uh, <laughs> Ken's been out, you know, probably once per day since, uh, since January. <laughs> That that is a a fair point. So uh, we were talking about this before the show. Um, Damon had mentioned the whole Joe Burrow being cleared for Week One, which is astounding considering you know he tore the ACL and I think the PCL too. I'm not going to pretend to know all these terms, but his knee got hurt very badly, and the fact that he is cleared for Week One is incredible. And Damon brought up the point, you know, compared to past eras, you know, if you get an injury like that, you're out for quite a while with very few exceptions that could have been career-ending. I know Gail Sayers came back from a very, very bad knee injury. Um, how, I mean, we, let's take a look at this, because, Ken, you played in, in that era where, you know, if you got that type of injury, it, it was probably done for. So just talk about just maybe the difference in eras in terms of how incredible, how far medicine's come, really, but um, as well as Joe Burrow himself, because he's, you know, obviously, hopefully the future of this franchise and leading them into a different direction that they've been the past few years. Well, you know, it, it's amazing. And, uh, you know, reading the reports, uh, you know, that Joe's going to be ready for week one, you know, is it, kind of astounding what used to be a, a year's injury. And, you know, as, as you alluded to that, you know, probably career ending in many cases when you have a, an ACL and a total knee reconstruction. And, you know, we we're just talking a minute ago about, uh, you know, had uh, 
had Greg Cook uh, been playing nowadays, you know, they drafted him number one in Cincinnati in 1969. He was rookie of the year. He was going to be a tremendous quarterback and hurt his shoulder and had a rotator cuff uh, surgery. His career was over. And uh, today it would probably be an orthoscopic procedure and he'd have been back before the season was over. So it, uh, medicine has come a long way. Damon, you also touched on this. I mean, I know how big of an NFL history buff you are. Um, so I don't know. Do you think a, is there anybody else that comes to mind that maybe in past eras came back from something like that? I mean, we've seen it a lot recently with Adrian Peterson coming back after he destroyed his knee. Um, but even the Theismann injury, that's something that we've seen Alex Smith come back from a very similar injury. Um, is there anybody else that maybe comes to mind uh, for you? I just think it's amazing that once upon a time, these injuries ruined careers, ended full seasons, altered the trajectory of careers. And now it's a simple surgery and you come back within the calendar year and you're, you're better than ever and you can play. And I, and I think out of all the things that we lament as sports fans that have gotten worse over the years, the one thing that I keep coming back to is what's so much better is medicine, wellness, surgery, and science. Because, you know, Gail Sayers gets injured and his entire career is different. I mean, he's wearing an actual knee brace to try to run the football. And he's never as quick and he's never as, as light at his feet. Has to kind of grind to a thousand yards and, you know, he's quickly out of the league thereafter. Adrian Peterson tears his ACL and within a calendar year comes back and has his best season ever running for nearly 2,100 yards of the single season record. Those are impossible, you know, two, two situations that are impossibly different that happen in the same sport 35 years apart, 40 years apart, which means they're in totally different universes. And this Joe Burrow thing is just another part of it. I talked about it on the show today. It's so encouraging to know that if your favorite player suffers an injury like this, it doesn't take him out of the season. The next season doesn't take him out for multiple years or lose his career. He could be back and hit the ground running by opening day, and that's just awesome. I, I could be wrong. I, you know, I'm not. I'm not an expert. I'm not a doctor, like Jared said, but. I believe the the Bo Jackson and the Tua Tungavailoa injuries were very similar. Uh, I, you know, the the hip injury, kind of down to the knee area, and I mean, it just makes you wonder. And I, I think that you know, it, it's crazy to think about even the running back position because you know, running backs take a beating. Everybody knows that running backs don't last very long. But if the, you know the 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 medical advancements that we have now, if we would have had that 20, 30 years ago, what could have the numbers looked like back then? And, and I think you know, Damon, like you said, I think it's very encouraging. It's it's awesome to see that you know, as as much as we don't want to see these injuries when they do happen, it's the nature of the sport. It's encouraging to know that you know Joe Burrow, your your face of the franchise, will be back for Week One, and then you know it's it's great to see for the sport. Bo's injury is one of the most tragic injuries in sports mm -hmm. history, and it blows up one of the greatest athletes' careers ever. Now, he had a degenerative part of that hip, so it was the injury, and then also within that hip socket, I believe, it started to erode. And okay. I don't know if you would have been able to, to stop that these days, perhaps, but absolutely mm -hmm. to your point, back then – that's the end of his career. Today, yep. my guess is there's a lot better odds that he can recover and have a career, potentially a really good one. And nobody said, you know, to his career is over at Alabama. He still got drafted in the top 10, which just goes to show you how little concern there is of something like that. Right. A lot of a lot of Bengals fans were a little bit uh, scratching their heads at the number five pick, though, because, you know, Penny Sewell's right there and 
everybody watched Joe Burrow get thrown around like a rag doll last season. And they're, you know, kind of saying, okay, yeah, Jamar Chase, that's great. <laughs> they're getting the band from LSU back together, but um, we still need a left tackle to protect Joe Burrow or else he's going to tear up that other knee. Um, what did we think about the pick in terms of me? I know I thought they should have taken Sewell, uh, Damon, what were your thoughts? And then we'll go to Ken. Well, I didn't think you could go wrong either way. Uh, I think that if you are building around a franchise quarterback, obviously left tackle is of the utmost importance, but also a game-breaking wide receiver is of the utmost importance as well. We've seen in recent years young wide receivers be supported because not only the offensive line was good, but the targets are good. It's a pass-first league, and sometimes it's a pass-only league. So I understood both of those options. I thought they were both good options. I don't think you could go wrong with either one, which is why I didn't criticize the chase pick. Before I let you go, Ken, we have our third guest because Ike Taylor has arrived, everybody. He is here. And I'm going to take a wild guess and say that he might have a cigar. Ike, am I right or am I wrong? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Technical Uh-oh. difficulties. <laughs> uh, wait, wait, wait. wait. Oh. Coming in, Ike, maybe. can you hear can... me? <laughs> oh, no. I see, I see a freeze frame of him in a, in, a, in the car, so it might not I be do the best, too. Uh, best I do too. Connection, but yeah. All right, Ken. Well, we can go to you <laughs> while Ike figures out his connection issues. So, uh, the the Jamar Chase pick. Are you a fan of it? Or are you not a fan of it? Well, you know, I am a big fan of it. I think keep Joe upright this year. You know, I think a lot depends. You know, you know, they got Jonah Williams. You know, two years ago was their number one draft choice. Missed his rookie year. Was hurt again last year. You know, what do they think he's going to develop into? You know, they signed a couple of free agent, you know, interior linemen last offseason. You know, they had a bunch of injuries in there. Uh, signed the tackle from the Vikings. I think they're going to move him inside the guard. So I think internally they must feel like they're going to be better in the offensive line. So then I think it's a great pick that, you know, they, they need some speed on the outside. You know, with T. Higgins, they did, you know, he was a, a big home run for them last year. In, in the second round, they got – Boyd and you know they they had their speed receiver and John Ross but that never turned out so I, I think you know getting you know a, a guy like Chase is, that Joe is very familiar with I think is uh, is going to be a good deal for him. It's it is exciting you know you, you you can never go wrong with the the big you know sexy pick of an offensive weapon and you know I'm sure it makes Joe Burrow very happy. The only thing that makes me a little nervous is you know obviously you know the the, the big left tackle question mark but what could have been uh you know i think that the offensive line is arguably the second most important position group uh, on on the on a football team and it would have been nice to see joe burrow have that that security blanket um to kind of you know have have the the faith and the trust in his offensive line but i like what the Bengals are doing you know we 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 were talking about them earlier and I, i like their their defense that they're building there they added a few nice pieces in this uh, offseason, free agency, and the draft. They're building the right way. Again, it just comes down to if Joe Burrow can stay healthy, and everybody's crossing their fingers and toes that it can happen, especially me. Well, let's keep our fingers crossed because, you know, even being the, the Steelers guy that I am, uh, Cincinnati is a very fun team. Hopefully Joe Burrow can stay upright uh, going forward. But, uh, you know, having Ken Anderson on this show, as we do, having Damon Amelandora on the show as we do two guys who are very big in terms of one played 
and an era, you know, in the 1970s, early 80s. Damon, a guy who has done multiple shows discussing the history of the league. It's always fun to be able to, to have yeah, these Ken did it. I just yeah, Ken, yeah, Ken, <laughs> so, Ken so did it. This needs <laughs> to be very clearly, there's a big line of demarcation. I talked about, about Ken's accomplishments. That's really, these are separate worlds. Okay. Well, I think the last time we had Ken on, we talked about the Freezer Bowl and um, just the fact that Ken, I think you told a story about how um, you didn't you say you hit like your you tripped or something, hit your head off your helmet or something. You felt a little. Uh, no, they, uh, they brought the heated benches in, and I think there was yeah. a little, yes. we had never seen it before. And <laughs> so it's in the first quarter, and I'm on the sideline, and I'm sitting on there. And luckily, I, I kept my helmet on, and so I'm sitting on the, the bench. I'm sitting on my hands, and they got these little slots for your feet to go in. And somebody threw a cape over me, and there's a loud roar. And so I'm standing up to see if there's a turnover, if I'm going back in and my feet don't come out of the slots and I'm falling forward. And the first thing that hits is my face mask and I'm seeing stars and calling for the trainer for smelling salts. You know, I mean, I can't get knocked out of the AFC championship game falling off the bench. And <laughs> in today's world, you know, somebody, they, of course they would have had a lot more cameras at the game than, the, than yeah. they did back then. And, there were no cell phones back then, and, and certainly that would have been caught on video. And, you know, in today's world, I probably would have had to gone in, in concussion protocol and missed the rest of the game and not gone to a Super Bowl. Yeah, that, that would have been a big no-no back in the day to just toss you back in the game. But uh, it, it seemed to have uh, worked out. You know, you were seeing stars, but it's okay. It seemed to work out. You, you made it through it, and uh, you advanced to the next round. But uh, that's, uh, that's pretty funny, actually. I, I forgot about that story until you brought it up, Jarrett. Yeah. And, uh, you know, going back to previous eras, I think there are a lot of guys that get forgotten. So, Damon, I can go to you on this. You know, we talk about guys from the 70s, 80s who might, you know, in today's game may not thrive. They may thrive. Is there somebody that may, I mean, it could be multiple guys who kind of stick out in your mind from past eras that, you know, we look at and say, damn, no one really talks about how great he was. But, you know, looking at his production, looking at his skill, he really stuck out. Well, I think the guys that would have been able to do it today are not the underrated ones. I think Jim Brown is able to run for 1,200 yards today. I think Dan Marino is able to throw for 5,000 yards today. I think the really, truly great ones would still truly be great. I think John Elway's mobility plus his arm makes him perfect for today's NFL. I also think that that cuts the other way as well. A guy like Aaron Donald, I believe, would have been a wrecking ball in, in any decade. I think Derrick Henry is the type of guy with his strength and his brute force and his speed and his size would be able to run against any defense in any era. So I think that a guy like Larry Fitzgerald, again, so strong, so crafty, so smart, so good that he would have just blown up defenses, whatever era. I think the really great ones would, would be able to transition from era to era. I think the underrated ones would be a lot harder to think going old school to new school because, I mean, today, you know, as much as I admire, truly, truly admire the guys that, that played during Ken's era and before and after, the speed with which the game is played today with bigger guys on the same size field means that every athlete just has to be better. And if you go back and, and if you were playing during Ken's time and you looked at an NFL game for the 1950s, you'd be like, how could these guys ever get in the field today? And now you would say the same thing about sometimes we watch games from the 70s. Well, how would these guys ever get on the field? It is a remarkable um, 
achievement to be able to succeed in the, at the speed with which it's played today and do it well. You know, I, th- I think the skill positions would translate because of size. And, you know, Damon, you mentioned it. You know, when I played, the starting center was 250. The guards are 260. The tackles are 270. You know, we had a, an all-pro defensive lineman, Mike Reed, at five sacks in one game against Kansas City in 1972 was 245. You know, the, the defensive linemen, you know, people in that generation just weren't as big as they are today. So I think, you know, the, the interior guys would have a much more difficult time than the skill guys. I think, I, you know, I, I want to bring this up real quick because, Jared, you know, you, you mentioned the maybe forgotten, maybe the, the looked over type of guys. And, you know, we, we've talked about this, Ken. I think we're all in agreement. You should be in the hall, but we can we can spend it. We can spend a whole episode on that. So I want to bring up another name because you know I'm a, I'm a Bills guy. I got my Buffalo stuff. I told Jarrett that I'm a big Buffalo history guy. Um, so of <laughs> course I got to add this name to the list. A hot topic in, in, in Bills Mafia when it comes to Hall of Fame, yes or no, and that's Steve Tasker. Um, you know, a lot of guys, a lot a lot of fans calling for him to be in one of the best all time special team or special teams gunners. Uh, a, a good wide receiver as well. Uh, Damon, I'll start with you. I just maybe maybe get a little short take from you of, of whether or not you think Steve Tasker should be in the Hall of Fame for the Buffalo Bills. So I'm absolutely a proponent of keeping the Hall of Fame selective and making sure that you're talking about the elite of the elite. And that being said, I think Steve Tasker does belong in because if he's the greatest ever to do what he did, how can you not put him in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? He is bar none the greatest gunner special teams coverage guy that has ever played. There is not even a, a, a discussion about that. You go back and you look at the Pro Bowls that he made just based on special teams. It is remarkable compared to everybody else. He was a, a Pro Bowl MVP as well in doing those types of things and a crucial member of those Bill squads. So I'm a proponent of guys like Devin Hester and guys like um, the greatest kickers, you know, Jan Stenrud, you know, Morton Anderson, uh, soon to be Adam Vinatieri. You put in Steve Tasker as well, Ray Guy. If they're the greatest ever to do it, no matter what the position is, they belong in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and Tasker is that. I agree. I'm sorry. I thought Kurt was going to keep going. Um, so I'm glad that you to hop in. So I'm glad. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. I'm in contact with Ike Taylor's publicist. We are going through <laughs> a lot right now. Okay. Um, so. Um, Yes, I agree. First of all, Steve Tasker, also hell of an announcer. Uh, we'll give him that as well. So, um, yes. Now, with that said, does that mean that Matthew Slater gets in the Hall of Fame eventually? Because a lot of people are talking about that he's eclipsed Steve Tasker as the best gunner of all time. And that's an argument to be made. He's been doing it for a that long is. time. Okay. It is. It's, okay, this, is, this might be the first time I've ever thought about this. So thank you for putting me on the spot here, Jared. But yeah. There, there's really no denying. I mean, he. You think of special teams. Who do you think of? You, you think of the kickers and the punchers, and, and you think of Matthew Slater. He's in that list right now in the current NFL. So you can absolutely make an argument for that, and it kind of goes back to the point that we just made before. You know, the the transition of different eras that these guys have been playing in, and. Would Matthew Slater play well back in the 90s? Would Steve Tasker play well in, in 2021? I mean, it's it's an interesting point, but I think I would have to agree with you. I mean, it, you you can't not put him on that list. And it looks like we got Mr. Ike Taylor. Uh, can you can you hear us? I, I think you can. I can I can see you clear. How are you, my friend? I'm good, fellas. How y'all doing? There we doing go. Great. We got doing him great. in here. 
<laughs> so, so Ike, we've got a little bit of a mini reunion here because uh, Ken Anderson, quarterback coach uh, for Pittsburgh for a few years, you were on the same squad when y'all won the Super Bowl. So I felt it was really appropriate to do this. And uh, I'm happy about it. First of all, are you smoking a cigar right now? Yes or no? Uh-oh. Can no, you hear me, not. mate? Got that smoke. Okay. But, hey, Coach, how you doing? Coach, I got to say what's up. Yeah, no, I'm oh. doing great. I just got a text from Coach Tom on your fine $500. Can, me? <laughs> can y'all hear me? Oh, you're cutting in and out a little bit, but we can hear you. Uh-oh, we got, we got a frozen screen again. Uh, oh. I'm cutting in and out. Y'all it's can hear me now? I can hear you a little bit. Yeah, like I said, it is a little bit in and out. Oh, can you hear me? That's the, is it that's still the is question. it still in and out? I don't. Yes, it's I getting can, a little bit better. I can, I can hear you clearly. Okay, perfect. Then as long as that's okay, it might be a little bit fuzzy, but we're gonna get through this, gentlemen. <laughs> this is broadcasting on the fly. All right, so. I forget what we were talking about because I got excited when Ike finally got in. We were talking about the, Ike being fined by Mike Tomlin for being Yes, $100. that is correct. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> uh, according according to Ken Anderson, Ike, apparently uh, Coach Tomlin is fining you for, for being late. So that, that's according to Ken. That is not according to me. Hey, that's not, that's not all right. As long as Coach Ken ain't finding me, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, while we've got both of you here right now, um, by all means, I will talk Steelers Super Bowl wins any day of the week. Might as well do it with two guys that actually did it. Um, Ken, tell me about Ike as a player and what it was like being on a coaching staff that partook in coaching him and what he was like. Well, I mean, just to have a, a player, you know, of that caliber. And I think, you know, Ike would agree that that was, a, I know, in, in the 2008 season when we uh, – beat um, Arizona for the Super Bowl, that was a team that was loaded in talent, uh, you know, at, at every position, which I think is why they were a great team and why they won it all. But, you know, and like I say, it's just, you know, when you've got that many good players on the field at one time, you're going to be successful. Now, Ike, for you, watching the, this, the interception back that James Harrison had, you're to his left. And then Deshae Townsend's in front of him pretty much asking for the ball. And James Harrison pretty much shoves him aside, pretty much saying, get the hell out of the way so I can run. What <laughs> did, Was there a conversation had with Deshae Townsend afterwards saying, what the heck are you doing? Uh, because it seemed as if he was trying to, trying to steal a little bit of James Harrison's thunder. Me and Deshae was trying to steal James Harrison thunder. We thought <laughs> James Harrison... AKA Debo wasn't able to make it to the end zone. So the shape was saying he moved away. And then they all saying the same thing to James Harrison, giving the down ball. But obviously he wasn't paying attention to me. Now, <laughs> out the two the shapes Townsends and eight Taylors who's asking for for the down ball at the time. Two guys without even knowing it who was trying to get James Harrison from the back. So yeah, in my mind, I'm thinking like the shade, the shade thinking like me. Debo, why don't you go on and give me the ball? Because I don't think you can make it 99 yards 
to this touchdown, but little did we know Debo wind up making it and that wind up being a historical run back for a Super Bowl. Well, the only good thing about that play was that we had a half hour halftime coming up. So we <laughs> gave, gave him plenty of rest. I love it. Um, but sticking stick with Super Bowl 43 here. I mean, besides the Santonio Holmes catch with 35 seconds left, besides the James Harrison uh, run back, maybe, you know, Ken, from you from the offensive side of the ball, you being the quarterback's coach, maybe a moment that, that stuck out to you, maybe a moment that you'll, you'll just remember forever, maybe something that Ben said. Anything besides maybe those two plays that, that stick out to you uh, from that game? Well, you know, I, I think, you know, when they scored late to take the lead and, and we got the ball back and, and Ben had been so good in, in two-minute situations all year long. And our first play is, a, I forget what it was, a sack or a penalty. And so now it's first and 20. And for him, you know, never lost his confidence, never lost his poise. And the, the rally, overcome that and take him down to the, you know, the, the field for uh, for the winning touchdown was unbelievable. If I recall correctly, it was either Willie Colon or Chris Kimoyatsu who got a holding call on the first play, not to single out Willie Colon or Chris Kimoyatsu. But uh, yes, if I'm correct, it was one of those two who got the holding call. Um, now, was there ever, you know, Arizona scores and goes up. Was there ever a feeling on the sideline like, all right, yeah, they gave us too much time. Let's go win this thing. Or was it maybe a little bit more of like, all right, you know, now we really got to kick it into high gear. Was there ever a lack of confidence? I don't think so because, we, you know, Ben was having a, a, a tremendous year and did it so many times that year. So it was, uh, I mean, I think everybody, at least, you know, from, from our standpoint on offense, had no doubt we were going to go down and score. Well, now, we, we got, okay. we got, we kind of, all three sides of the ball, I guess you could say. We got Ike from the defensive side, and we got Damon as the as the NFL analyst side over here. So we'll we'll talk to these two too. Uh, possibly some some moments that maybe stuck out to them about that game. Uh, Damon, I'll start with you, and then Ike will go to you for maybe something that you remember specifically from that 2008 or 2009 Super Bowl 43. Uh, Damon, anything anything that sticks out to you about that game with uh, these two greats here? Yeah, well, two things. Number one, that Cardinals team felt like a team of destiny. If you remember, the Cardinals played wild card weekend and were neither one of the top two seeds that year. The Giants were the one seed. I forget who was the two seed of the NFC. They both lost. Maybe the Panthers. They both lost on, on opening weekend for their games with the bye. So that opened up the door for the Cardinals. The Cardinals end up getting a home game in the NFC Championship game against the, the Eagles, which, you know, if you play Wild Card Weekend, you never host the NFC Championship game. So for them, it kind of felt like, wow, Kurt Warner's resurgence, Larry Fitzgerald, remember, had the postseason of a lifetime, and they come into this game, and it's just – it's nip and tuck, nip and tuck, almost like a great horse race. And then at the end uh, in the game, you have Fitzgerald's big play, how will the Steelers come back, and there was always this – this kind of mojo of, is this the Cardinals' year? They're the Cardinals. Do they actually have a year? And then that final drive with Big Ben to Santonio is such a thing of beauty. If you go back and you watch the plays one by one and the communication between the two since they were mic'd up by NFL Films that ultimately the game-winning touchdown, it is such a ballet. I mean, the two of them are working together hand-in-hand, hand, and they simply cannot be stopped. And then that final throw from Ben is incredible, absolutely incredible. And then the two the two feet tippy-toes in the end zone is just one of the great catches in NFL history, let alone a Super Bowl. 
to win a Super Bowl, it is it is extraordinary. All of that. It is one of the greatest Super Bowls ever. That Steelers team was amazing. And the only thing I always thought was, boy, I wonder what it would look like if the Giants, who were the one seed, played the Steelers. Because the Maras and the Roonies and the combinations of the two had it been Steelers and Giants. What a wild Super Bowl backdrop that would be with the history of those two organizations. But it is clearly one of the great games ever in NFL history. And that that final drive is a thing of beauty. I think the the funnier thing about that is that as great as Santonio's catch was, the the play before that he had an easier catch to make in the back of the end zone that goes through his hands, and um and you brought up the the ballet of that drive and the NFL films being the fact that Ben and Santonio were mic'd up right before the drive starts. Santonio goes over to Ben and says, "Hey, I want the ball," and it goes to Santonio. It goes to Santonio again. Nate Washington gets a catch. Santonio gets the ball down to the five, and then Santonio scores. So. It, it was very much, it, it felt destined. But, uh, Ike, you know, obviously you're a two-time Super Bowl champion. So, um, with in terms of the two Super Bowls that you guys won uh, against Seattle and Arizona, which one in your mind felt sweeter? Was it that first one with Bill Cowher at the helm finally getting the ring? Was it the one in uh, against Arizona in 2009? Well, you know, for the, for the Arizona one, it was uh, – I was watching this put up their right numbers in love. So whether he was single coverage, doubled, or triple covered, Kurt Warner and Larry Fitzgerald had a relationship. Whenever the times got hard, he was throwing it up to Larry. And at the time, I was playing the number one receiver on opposing team. So I was like, God damn, I got to wind up playing this goddamn beast <laughs> in Super Bowl. That's what I was saying to myself. But I was always up for the challenge. And I knew it was going to come a point in time where you can only hold Larry Fitzgerald for so long. Just looking at the epic run he had during that year, during the playoffs, you couldn't hold him down for so long. So Larry wound up getting a touchdown on me in the back of the end zone. Then he wound up getting another touchdown on me again off of a cover two. He split our defense right down the middle, right? So I said, mm-hmm. Dan, I done did all I could do to hold this young man. I'm going to need some help. So I, I remember specifically going to San Antonio Holmes. I said, Tom, I don't ask you for much, bro. I might ask you to chip in on a little dinner. I might ask you to take a shot or two if we out. But I need a huge favor from you, bro. I need you to score a damn touchdown for your boy. Because <laughs> if you don't score a touchdown for me, it's going to be bad in the newspaper, man, on I Taylor losing this damn football for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, Coach Ken had it right. Coach Ken, we always felt on the defensive side, we always felt like on the defensive side, Big Ben was always clutch. He always came through when you needed him. You know what I'm saying? So, and Ben been doing that the whole year. So, when you look at Ben, his body language, his eyes, regardless on how good or bad the defense was playing, he was always like, man, y'all don't trip, I got y'all. <laughs> and that, that's just his mentality, you know? So, for, for me, having that kind of confidence in Ben, 
Um, I'm sure the rest of the 52 guys on the team were very confident, but at the time I just got scored on, so I was super nervous. <laughs> super nervous. <laughs> super nervous. And, and Damon, but oh, sorry, go ahead. Ike. Then again, uh, Big Ben and San Antonio Holmes, they came, they came through for your boy. I'm so glad they did. <laughs> <laughs> and Damon, you had brought up the uh, the Larry Fitzgerald playoff run, which is obviously legendary. But we got to remember, San Antonio Holmes had a hell of a playoff run too. He had the punt return against the Chargers for a touchdown. He had the big. Uh, receiving touchdown against Baltimore where Ben scrambled around for what felt like 37 seconds and just heaved it up and San Antonio catches it and runs. I think it was a 67 yard touchdown past the Ravens defenders. I remember Nate Washington and Heath Miller throwing blocks down the field. So San Antonio Holmes had a pretty damn good playoff run himself. Um, I do want to take it to this though, because it was announced today that Troy Palomalu selected Dick LeBeau as his hall of fame presenter. Um, being the fact that Ike, obviously you played with Troy and under Dick, Ken, you were on that staff. Uh, we can just kind of go around the panel here uh, and then end with Kurt. So, Ken, tell me a little bit about Troy, a little bit about Dick LeBeau, and this is perfect matchup. just seems very right that Dick LeBeau presents Troy Palomaro going in. Oh, I think exactly. You know, I mean, I was still playing when Dick LeBeau started coaching. He was on the, the Bengals staff, and, you know, when they started coming up with all the, the zone blitz schemes, and, of course, which he perfected to a whole nother level. But – um you know, Troy was just such an instinctive player. And, you know, you know, like sometimes the other safety had to cover up for him because you never knew what Troy was going to do. You just got to be <laughs> alert back there. But whatever Troy does, I'll, I'll make up for it on, on the back end. But, you know, coming up with the big plays, and it was the AOC championship game against Baltimore, you know, the big interception at the end for a touchdown that kind of iced the game. And, you know, Unfortunately, a lot of people only know him today for his head and shoulders commercials. But, uh, you know, what, what just a great, instinctive player he was. Yeah, Palomalu was easily one of the best players in the game right out of the shoot. I mean, you just saw such a different type of athleticism at the safety position that nobody had ever really brought to the table before, uh, you know, him and Ed Reed kind of redefined in that era what a safety could do and what they could do with the football in their hands. And once he had the football in his hands, he turned into a running back. And it was really remarkable to see a guy that had defensive back abilities, you know, become such an offensive weapon when he had the football in his hands. And I'll never forget, I covered the Patriots for a number of years when I worked in New England. And it was always a root canal to get any information out of Bill Belichick at any press conference as you might imagine. So, you know, every single week you try to get something out of him and he's just going to refuse to, to give you anything. But when Dick LeBeau was nominated for the Hall of Fame, I asked Bill, Bill, I just wanted to know what you thought the impact was of Dick in the NFL and if you thought he was a Hall of Famer. And if so, what what was his legacy? And I'm telling you, Bill's eyes, it was the only time I ever saw him happy at a question that I asked. And he couldn't be more effusive <laughs> in his praise about LeBeau's impact and what he was as a player, what he was as a coach, what how he changed schemes uh, in the NFL and how defenses were run. And it was such a testament to hear one of the great defensive minds ever in Bill Belichick go on and on and on, wax poetic about LeBeau. And you could just tell that there was a relationship between Troy and Dick that one had this great football mind, one had this great football instinct, and they come together at the same time and, you know, they, they make a pair of Hall of Fame careers. So what a special relationship that was for so many years. 
And Ike, you obviously played under Dick LeBeau for a number of years, and you played alongside Troy for a number of years. So take me through your relationship with both of them. Um, Troy is Jesus in the Pittsburgh still a uniform. Dick LeBeau is Moses. As they coach <laughs> for okay. Pittsburgh Steelers, <laughs> that's how I value and looked at them too. Um, coach, Coach Ken said it best. Uh, we all watch tape at, at some point in time in the, in the NFL. We watch a lot of hours of tape, which we had different from everybody else. But just instincts. So if he saw something that he saw won't tape. And you presented that same formation, or he had in his thing to feel on what was about to happen. He trusted it, and he's trusted it more than often. And sometimes he went off script, and usually when he went off script, he didn't tell anybody. <laughs> so George just had a, a very Spider-Man sense, very instinctive sense on what was about to happen before it happened. You know, he just played. He had fun. So uh, I, I never he was like really in the moment. Like a lot of guys don't play in the moment. But I, I never liked Troy because when I was there, I was in charge <laughs> of the, the red zone scripts and doing the cards for them. <laughs> and, you know, normally you're, you're going against the backups, but Troy always wanted to take the, the, the red zone seven on seven and team. And, and so I would draw, I draw up the cards, what I wanted, and then I would, you know, put arrows where I wanted him to go. And, of course, he would start that way, then wheel around and pick off Ben in the red zone, and i go and scream <laughs> at him and, I go into the DB meeting room b before practice, and I says, "Palomala, don't mess with my cards today." Glad <laughs> to do the same thing. <laughs> see, see, to me, I mean, Troy Palomalo, like Damon, you, you kind of mentioned <laughs> it, you touched on it there. That Palomalo pretty much revolutionized the position because you know it seemed like for a long time it was the safety was it was the safety blanket in the secondary, and it just seemed like. You know, there, there's so many greats. I mean, you mentioned Ed Reed as well, but Palomalo just seemed like, I mean, he could do everything. He did do everything, and it, he revolutionized the position, and I'm not sure if there's any, ever going to be anybody like him. So I, I think him and Dick LeBeau, you know, Dick LeBeau putting him in enshrined forever, I, I think that's the the perfect uh, – that's the match made in heaven, I think. It's, it's a perfect fit. Yeah, I think that it's just poetic at this point. But if I'm not mistaken, they are also going to have, um, like, officially induct the 2020 class as well this year. Dame, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I believe they're going to give those guys a special enshrinement as well. So there's going to be another Pittsburgh Steeler legend going in. Coach Bill Cower will be entering the Hall of Fame. So, you know, obviously, when it comes to coaches, Pittsburgh does it, you know, just as good as anybody in the NFL. They've had three coaches since 1970, if I'm not mistaken. So... Take me through your thoughts on Bill Cower, Damon, and then we'll go to, to Ike and then Ken. Uh, you know, obviously his successes in the NFL and uh, his enshrinement. Yeah, you know, Bill Cower has a very special place in NFL history because the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, as great as Chuck Knoll was, had started to fall in hard times by the late 80s and early 90s. And Knoll obviously was the architect of one of the greatest dynasties ever. 
And when you go back and you look at what the Steelers drafted and developed in the 70s, it's unlike anything we've ever seen. But by the mid to late 80s, you know, they were an eight and eight team almost perennially, and they needed a new reboot. And, and the Steelers organization, as you know, is so hesitant on replacing coaches that they allowed Chuck because of how much respect that he had had to be there for a while and try to dig themselves out of it. But when you go back and you look at the the years, they're very unsteelers like between, you know, say 84 and 90 or so. So when Coward gets the job, not only is the perfect fit because he encapsulates this intensity and this, this kind of working class, blue collar, um, just, you know, ready for any fight type of, of, of vibe that the Steelers have always given off, but he was also a great head coach. He was a great coordinator and a great head coach, and he was really great right off the bat. I mean, he immediately changes who the Steelers are almost instantaneously, and then they start going back to the playoffs every year. They're starting to host AFC championship games, and there's always this yeah, but that they lose, I think, four of those AFC championship games at home. They lose the Super Bowl to the Cowboys in 95. They can't quite get over the hump, and Cowher is kind of seen as great, but, yeah, but. And so for them to finally win in 05, I was in Detroit for that game. And I have to say, I'm supposed to be an unbiased and partial observer. I was rooting for the Steelers that day. And, and a huge part of that was because Bill Cowher deserved to have that ring because of what he had brought to that organization for so long. And, you know, when he was a coach in Cleveland, when he was a coach in Kansas City, there was already the markings of a guy that could connect with players unlike other guys could. And so by 05, when they're so close, but they can't quite get there, you know, I was at Ford Field going, man, I'm pumping my fist a little bit. I was, I was fired up, not to mention I got family in McKeesport. They're Steelers fans. But I was, I was fired <laughs> up with Bill Cowher to, to finally get that ring and culminate that career. Ike, you played for Coach Cowher, obviously. Uh, what does it mean to you to see him get uh, into the Hall of Fame? Uh, that that mean, tough, smile, grim, smirk, that was all for T. <laughs> for, for us as a player, he was a player's coach. So I think I think I think Dan said it best. Um, I was just fortunate enough to have Coach Coward as as one of my coaches because he was very relaxed. Um, this was a time where Coach Cowan had an old school mentality, pick a time, pick a place, and we can play football anywhere, whether it was on concrete, a gravel road, turf, or grass. And that's how we felt. Um, I can remember a time doing a hurricane, Coach. I don't know if you was, I don't know if you remember, Coach, that hurricane in Miami. Yep, they had a hurricane coming, and we wound up staying in Miami, or at least traveling down during the hurricane when we played Miami. And uh, Coach Coward, he didn't blink at all, and it, and he he was like, "We flying down, we gonna play Miami, and we are gonna kick their ass, and we are gonna come back home." <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what we doing. I remember the time when we played the Colts, and that's when the Colts was hot. The Colts had, you know, Adrian James, uh, Peyton Manning, Dallas Clark, Jeff Saturday, Reggie Wayne, Marvin Harrison. They, 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 they had a, they had a crew, and we wound up losing during the regular season to the coach, to the Colts. 
Coach Kyle said, we lost, but we will be back, and we will be back to win this playoff game, and that's going to be a road to us getting into the Super Bowl and winning it. Little did we know, we came back exactly in the playoffs, beat the Colts on the way to the Super Bowl. So, for me, it was more of the confidence Coach Kyle had in his team than anything. Um, he was a brawler. Like when you come from Pittsburgh, uh, they got a thing called Yenzer. So coaches are real live Yenzer. You know, and to be a Yenzer, you got to be scared of, you can't be scared of nothing. So our training camps and coach, coach Ken can attest to this. Our training camps at some point in time was harder than games. I mean, was harder than games. <laughs> training camps. We were so competitive in training camps. Getting to the game, man, it's like, man, it's, it's harder in practice than it is in the game. <laughs> but that was the atmosphere. That was the environment Coach Coward wanted. And we competed from a coaching standpoint as well to a player standpoint. We competed at both levels. And you had some friendly wagers. In friendly camp, and when I say friendly, I don't that too light. It was coming out of people's pockets on who was going to do what in training camp. So uh, <laughs> that's what I liked about Coach Cowell, man. Coach Cowell also uh, he was a very relaxed guy when it came down to dressing. So you know now coaches they want you to be suit and tie, dressed up. All Coach Cowell wanted to do was show his legs with some short shorts in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> That's what coach wanted to do. So as, as, as long as we wasn't as long as we wasn't disrespectful in our dress code, you can wear pajamas on a road trip when you get off <laughs> or coming on the plane. So uh, uh coach coach wasn't looking at the attire. He was looking at how we was kicking kicking ass on the field. <laughs> <laughs> Ken, uh, your thoughts on Coach Bill Cower? Oh, just a, a tremendous coach. And, and I think, you know, and of course, you know, my playing days was, uh, you know, all against Chuck Nolan, what he established there, which was, you know, one of the, some of the great teams of, of all time. And, you know, I think for the Rooney family to identify an, another coach, you know, when they hired Chuck Nolan, he didn't have any head coaching experience. And, and change the culture of what it was to be a Pittsburgh Steeler, and then to identify another coach, an assistant coach that had no head coaching experience to kind of carry on that tradition. And, you know, you talk about a personality that fits into the personality of Pittsburgh, and that is, is, is Coach Coward, you know, just with that rough, tough guy. But, you know, like you said, you saw another side of him. And, you know, I did, I did too. Uh, back in my playing days, we had a a big celebrity tennis tournament out in Las Vegas. And, you know, guys like, you know, Rick Barry, I mean, there were a lot of, you know, big time athletes. And for some reason I got to go out there and, and that's where I first met Bill Coward, but, but he wasn't there as, as the celebrity, as a player that uh, his wife uh, was one of the, 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 the twin great basketball players in North Carolina state, Kay and Faye Young. They were the celebrities and Coward was the tag along. <laughs> 
So I always had to kid him, you know, that you know, Billy maybe something now, but I remember you when you were just a tag along. <laughs> That's too funny. All right. Well, I want I want to touch on one more player, one more Hall of Fame player, because I, I love I love doing this this history talk with all you guys that know everything, the ins and outs, the behind the scenes and everything. Charles Woodson, one of my personal favorites, one of the greatest of all times, finally getting enshrined. And you know, Ike, you, you played against him. Ken, you coached against him. I, I want to get your guys' take because what you saw on TV on Sundays, on Mondays. It was a show every time. Every time he was out there, Charles Woodson put on a show. He was the definition of an elite player. And, you know, like from you being a, a defensive back yourself, I want to get your take on just what you saw, maybe what you even learned from him, your interactions from him, and why, of course, you know, he, he's talked about as one of the greatest of all time. He's a, he's a dark skin version of Troy Polamalu. <laughs> and what I mean by that, a guy who plays in the secondary can play on all phases on the defense. If you put Charles Wilson or Troy Polamalu on a line of scrimmage, they can clog up holes and they can get sacks and cause fumbles. If you put a Charles Woodson or a Troy Polamalu as linebackers, they can come down downhill just as hard or they can cover just as good as linebackers or safeties. If you put Charles Woodson and the Troy Palomalu at a free or strong safety, they definitely can be an impact as well. So when you talk about Charles Woodson, when you talk about Palomalu, to me, both of them guys are the same kind of people. Just one is a little bit darker than the other. And when you want to talk about, and we talked about this earlier, two guys who are very instinctive, those guys were very instinctive in their heyday. And that's that's what made those guys different. Um when 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 Charles left, when Charles left Oakland and went to the Green Bay Packers, you want to talk about a guy in the course of five or six years who got 30 interceptions. 30 interceptions. In the course of five or six years, off of leaving one team to another, but um, I watched Charles Wilson when he was wearing to Michigan. I was always a huge fan of Charles Wilson. You know, um, I watched Charles Wilson go from corner to safety, from safety to linebacker, back to safety. That that was that was he would, and um, when you just watched him on tape. You just always said, I just always said as a player, how in the hell he did that? <laughs> you know? And uh, it, it was cool for me to watch. I, when when we played them in the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl that we lost against the Packers, when I, I sat, I didn't sit down, I sat and watched Seawood because I've always been a fan of Seawood. And uh, I had Nick Collins on my show today. And I asked him the same questions y'all were talking about, C. Wood. Like, what made C. Wood so special? And my comparison was, you know, for me, it was watching Troy and C. Wood, guys who can play three phases on the defense, whether it was up on the line of scrimmage, playing that linebacker position, or playing that safety, strong safety or free safety position. Not too many people in the world could have done that. 
And only guys like a C. Wood or Troy Polamalu could. Damon, your thoughts on Charles Woodson? And by the way, Ken, Ike, anybody, if you gotta go anytime soon, by all means, uh, uh, let I, us know. I, I am gonna bug out on you if you don't mind that I've got. By a, all means, Ken. It's been bothering me, and I got 15 minutes to get to a therapist appointment. I got a golf, <laughs> yes. golf trip. All right. Yeah, I was gonna say I you've got. You've got a handicap to keep to keep going, so that, that, I don't want to mess up exactly your golf right. game. I good seeing you again, brother. Yes, you as well as uh, as well, Ken. Well, thank you, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it a lot. Good seeing you, Cole. Yes, Thanks, sir. Ken. All right, bye bye. Oh, uh, Ken Anderson, what a bloody legend he is. Love him. <laughs> Always love having him on the show. But uh, Damon, uh, we brought up Charles Woodson, uh, one of the best members of any secondary in NFL history. Your thoughts uh, on Charles Woodson being in shrine? Yeah, what Ike was saying was absolutely right on. I mean, Charles Woodson was a winner from day one. He wins the Heisman Trophy in college in a year that Peyton Manning was playing <laughs> college football. So think about the type of athlete and accomplishments it takes. He's a national champion at, at Michigan. He gets drafted by the Raiders. The Raiders end up going to the Super Bowl and multiple playoff runs with that early 2000s Gruden-led team. They go to the Super Bowl. He then ends up leaving there to go to Green Bay and the Packers end up going to the Super Bowl. And if you remember when he leaves Oakland to become a Packer, the Packers still had Brett Favre, but they were transitioning to Aaron Rodgers and the 2000s weren't as good as the 90s were for the Packers. And they were reaching the playoffs. They were losing in the playoffs. And he gets there and he's there for that bridge to Aaron Rodgers and they get back to a Super Bowl. And Rodgers would say this, I think anybody that watches uh, Packers would say this. That is that he changed that defense. It was a team led by Aaron Rodgers and an offensive explosion, but he changed the defense. And that was a huge reason. That was the one Packers team that got to a Super Bowl under Aaron Rodgers, that they had the balance. And that defense had as much to do with winning that Super Bowl as as the great run that Rodgers went on as well, but they needed that balance, and Woodson was a huge part of that. He is a slam-dunk Hall of Famer and was going to get his name called at some point, so it's good to see him going in. That it is. Uh, Kurt, I know you've got to also go at some point. Damon, how long do I have you for? I know you've got a life, so if you... If you, if you... <laughs> yeah, if you want to wrap it up here in the next couple of minutes, that would be probably good for me. That is fine with me. So we can honestly just do that right now. First of all, again... It was an honor talking to you again. One of my favorite, uh, one of my idols in this business growing up, not to kiss your ass too much and, and build that <laughs> ego. <laughs> but uh, yes, it, it's always a pleasure to talk to guys in this industry who we aspire to be like one day. So a pleasure talking to you, sir. Um, thank you so much for doing this. I know we've been trying to set it up for a while. So it, it does mean a lot to us. We appreciate it. No doubt. This was awesome. Look, it's a testament to you guys to be able to, to get a podcast together, to get a show together that has Ike Taylor and Ken Anderson on at the same time. That's pretty freaking cool. So great job by you guys. It's a pleasure to be a part of it. I just liked hearing those guys' stories. So this was a lot of fun and I appreciate the kind words. Flattery, as always, gets you everywhere. <laughs> Thanks, David. We appreciate it. Yeah, we'd like to think that we're we'd like to think we're okay at what we do. So yes, it, it does mean a lot. So all right, Kurt, we can wrap this up here, buddy. Uh, where can I find you on Twitter? You guys can find me at Kurt, K-U-R-T, Hamaser, H-A-U-M-E-S-S-E-R-88. Uh, like I said, I have been extremely busy. Um, but next week, I have a nice little vacation. Um, 
maybe even planning a, a trip to Florida, a spontaneous trip. So, uh, you know, maybe when I'm sitting on the beach, I'll, I'll get some work pumping out a little bit because I love doing this stuff. So, uh, no, but that, that was a lot of fun. That was, that was a great show. Maybe arguably one of our best, you know, even with the technical difficulties and, and all, we, uh, we made it through and that was great. It's always great to talk to those guys. Yes, it is. A spontaneous Florida trip. Does this involve a, yes. a certain a certain Katie? It does. Yes, it, it involves the, the wonderful girlfriend Katie and uh, a couple friends. So uh, we're we're hoping this can get done. You know, now that we're we're graduated, it's a nice little Florida trip would be nice. So yeah, no, no doubt. So well, sling back a few tequilas for me, my friend. It would be much appreciated. <laughs> yes, you can find me on Twitter at jbaileynfl. Uh, I will be doing uh, my predictions on fansided for every game on the Steelers schedule. This is going to be exhausting. Um, <laughs> so I started it. Uh, I'm at week five right now. So we are grinding through this. Um, next week, I talked to Kurt about this before the show, and it's an idea that I'm stealing from the great Adam Blompier over at uh, Parts Fun Known and Wrestle Talk. Uh, anybody who knows me knows I'm a wrestling nerd. Uh, and he does something what's called Quizzle Mania. We are going to do the first ever Laces Out NFL Trivia Bowl uh, featuring a lot of media personalities next week, which I cannot wait for because, you know what, who doesn't want to play Alex Trebek for a minute? Rest in peace, legend. Um, so, yes, we will be doing that next week, NFL Trivia Bowl. Uh, the guests will get announced throughout the next week or so. I reached out to a lot of people. A lot of people said they love the idea. They are in. Uh, so a few of our favorite guys, a few first time appearances on Laces Out will be happening uh, on the first ever Trivia Bowl. And uh, maybe if this goes well, we can make it, you know, uh, I don't know, maybe a monthly, bi-monthly thing. We'll see. Um, sure. so, so it'll be a lot of fun. So keep an eye out for the Laces Out Trivia Bowl. It's going to be a lot of fun. But again, thank you to Ken Anderson for coming on again. He's that's his third appearance on the show. Ike Taylor, also his third appearance on the show. Always love hearing stories from them. And the great Damon Amalindora, one of the very best in the business, a guy who I've looked up to for a very long time. Maybe the best smile in sports broadcasting today. <laughs> My lord, that that man. I, I so, like the I like the little uh, caricature caricature in the in the background. If you if you're just listening to this uh, on the audio, check it out on on our Twitters here and on our YouTube because he has a he's got a nice background. I mean, I, I guess that's what you get when you're a professional, but he's got a nice little caricature of him and his, his big uh, logo in the background. So. Great smile. Great smile. Yes. Yes. And obviously um, watched him a lot on NFL's top 10 on NFL Network growing up. That's how I found out, you know, who Damon was, listened to him a lot on CBS Sports. So, again, anytime we can get somebody like that on to talk to us, it's always fun Um, because that's what we want to do one day, Kurt. And I feel like we're well Mm -hmm. on our way. I think so. I think so. I, I enjoy doing it. So we'll get there one day. But, uh, yes, appreciate everybody coming on. Appreciate everybody listening. Uh, it's kind of the dead time in the NFL. I don't know if there really is a dead time in the NFL, but we're, we're, we're making it through it. We're, we're past the draft. We're past free agency. We're just cruising along, getting ready for training camp here. So thank you for sticking around with us. Uh, we will catch you next week for our possible trivia show. I cannot wait for that. As excited as I was for this show, I'm very excited for that. And uh, yes, details will come out throughout the week on that. But yes, thank you so much for tuning in. Again, thank you to Ken, Ike, and Damon for joining us. Uh, This is Laces Out. We will see you next week. Have a great week. Keep living. And, uh, you know, the world seems to be taking a turn for the better. And uh, so take care of each other, love each other, and enjoy this time as summer rolls in. It is 80 degrees in Slippery Rock University. I'm going to do some day drinking, Kurt. Okay. Enjoy yourself. (laughs) I get to go to work. So have one for me. I'm sorry. (laughs) All right. I will make sure to do that. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next week. This is Laces Out. 
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.